Thanks for listening to the Secular Hubcast, a podcast made possible through a grant from the American Humanist Association. This show is a project of the Secular Hub, a Denver nonprofit organization dedicated to promoting community, altruism, reason, and education across the diverse secular community of the Front Range region. For more information and to become a member, visit secularhub.org. Hello and welcome to the Secular Hubcast. My name is Paul Schilling. I'll be your host for this episode. It's going to be a short and sweet one for all of you folks out there that are sick of hearing us drone on and on and on about God knows what. (laughs) Pardon my use of the word God there. We have an American hero here with us today, and I'm very excited that I got a chance to sit down with her. She is a human rights activist. She is an atheist. She is a founder and current president uh, or co-president of the Freedom From Religion Foundation. I can't say enough about her. You'll notice that in the beginning of the podcast, uh, I sound kind of dumbfounded. And that's because during the interview that I had with her at uh, the Secular Conference 2019 in Denver, it, it hit me exactly who I was talking to. And when she started talking about the letters that they write and the lobbying that they do, it just, it just hit me like a ton of bricks that I'm sitting across from an American hero. Here is a person who day in and day out fights for the rights of every American. She doesn't discriminate against the religious. She doesn't discriminate against any gender or sex. She's out there day after day fighting for the rights of every American citizen. And she's making a lot of headway. You'll notice that she feels like freedom in America has taken a hit as of late. I would agree with her, especially in regards to the First Amendment. But it's because of people like her that we have the freedoms that we enjoy today. And it's because of people like her that we will continue to have the freedoms that the people that wrote the Constitution and the Bill of Rights recognized as inalienable. We got into a few different topics, but it was very brief. Please excuse the background noise. We were at the conference itself, and there were people preparing for their speeches. There were people preparing for um, sets that they were going to do. Uh, There's a band that plays in the background in a couple different uh, segments of the actual audio. So please, uh, you know, try not to get too distracted by it. I'm going to minimize it as much as possible. But this is definitely somebody worth listening to. And without further ado, I bring you the amazing Annie Laurie Gaylor. My name is Annie Laurie Gaylor, and Annie Laurie is a double name, double first name. Cool. And I am a co-founder and co-president of the Freedom From Religion Foundation. Wonderful. And we're the nation's largest association of freethinkers, atheists, and agnostics, and we work for separation of state and church, and we're in our 41st year as a national group. Oh, wow. We have about 900 members in Colorado and 31,000 in the United States. If I was going to get involved with Freedom From Religion, what what could I expect? Well, we are a membership association. Uh, We uh, 
say that our members are atheists, agnostics, skeptics, non-believers, secular humanists, whatever you like to call yourself, we all disbelieve in the same gods. We don't have a litmus test that you be an atheist, but probably about 75% of our members identify as atheists. And we are a very activist group. Um, We uh, try to end violations of entanglements between religion and government. Um, We started off as a very small group, and today we have nine attorneys working for us. So we really mean business. Um, We have taken over 75 lawsuits, winning at least half of them. We have about a dozen ongoing. We've been on a winning streak. We don't know if that will continue with the current Supreme Court, but it's Mm. been gratifying in the last two years to win over 16 um, different rounds or settlements in our litigation, but some of it's ongoing. Okay. Our attorneys write over a 1,000 formal complaint letters a year, ending over, on average, 250 violations of the First Amendment with the government endorsing religion a year. Wow. And that's our goal. We don't want to have to go to court. We want to enforce the law sure. because there's a lot of good precedent. But that precedent is gravely imperiled by what I call the Mitch McConnell court that we face today with the two additions to the court by President Trump, one of them replacing the swing vote. And Kennedy, uh, Justice Kennedy, um, who retired and was replaced by Kavanaugh, was not our best justice, but he was a swing vote. He was Mm -hmm. pro-choice. He wrote a decision uh, saying you should not have religious invocations at graduation ceremonies. None of this is going to happen with Kavanaugh. So we do face grave threats um, at, the, at the high court level. As, a, as somebody who would like to become a member, locally, what could I expect to see or find? Well, we have a local chapter. We have the Freedom from Religion Foundation chapter, Denver chapter. Okay. It meets uh, every month. We also, um, on a national level, are starting a new TV show called Free Thought Matters, and that's airing in 12 cities, including Denver. It's been... Uh, on a sabbatical, on a summer hiatus, but it's coming back on September 1st. And that, so that's something that anybody can tune, tune into. It's a su- Sunday mornings at 7 on w, um, CWGN, CW Channel 2. Okay. It's, it's very early, but we call it an unsermon. So okay. <laughs> for people who don't want to go to church, sure. you can tune in our show called Free Thought Matters. We have a newspaper called Free Thought Today. We have a national convention every year, and we help individuals all over the country uh, stop entanglements between religion and government. We also put up billboards. We work with chapters, individuals. Uh, The Denver chapter here has put up billboards with our help um, saying uh, the only wall we need is between state and church, for example. Very (laughs) timely this summer. Um, So um, we have a national convention coming up and give awards. Um, We do scholarships for students, okay. do everything we can to um, further free thought and further um, uh, understanding about the separation between state and church. So, like, if I were to join the Denver chapter, I would probably get involved in all these things that you're talking about, right? Or I would at least have the opportunity to get involved yes, in and, these types of activities. Yeah, and, and we are an activist group, and so membership helps our um, watchdog organization be more powerful, speak with a louder voice. Sure. Um, the more members we have, the more 
politicians will pay attention. We just um, hired our first lobbyist in D.C., for example. Oh, good. And when you go and lobby at a particular office, they don't care you have 31,000 members. They want to know how many members are in my district or how many members are, are in my state. Oh, okay. So we have a lot of catching up to do in the secular movement. Sure. So flexing muscle, belonging to as many groups as you can and supporting um, secular endeavors is terribly important um, if we want to retain um, our secular form of government and retain our rights, which are under attack. I think that's probably a big disconnect in a lot of people's minds is they don't recognize that, and I think this comes from the religious uh, more than anybody else, but they don't realize that um, by saying, for instance, that they want to have a certain monument up at a public uh, courthouse, for instance, like the Ten Commandments, and they want it to be a Christian monument, um, that infringes on other people's rights in some sense, but it also opens up. If they're allowed to put something, then anybody can put something. Although that's not always strictly true. If you look at the Ten Commandments monument that's on the Capitol grounds mm-hmm. here in Denver, mm-hmm. we sued over that. The Freedom from Religion Foundation and our chapter at the time sued. Lost at the trial level, won at the um, the appeals court level in state government and then lost at the state Supreme Court level. There is no, um, and in fact we asked to be able to put up our own um, secular monument but we were denied that right. So that, it depends on whether the government says it has created a public forum. And in this case it's just government speech and it's government speech that says to citizens that the government has the right to tell you how many gods to worship and which gods to worship. And, of course, the government has no business telling you that you have to worship any god at all. Right. The First Commandment alone is the antithesis of the First Amendment. Right, yeah. Um, both for the free speech and, and your right to be free from government um, dictation about your own personal freedom of conscience. Mm-hmm. So it's so wrong. So, um, And we just saw the Supreme Court bless a... I can't even remember how tall, 40-foot concrete um, Christian cross on a public right-of-way in in Maryland. And this is the first time that a court has ever said you can have a permanent Christian cross up on public property. Mm -hmm. All of the appeals courts before that have said no to that. And so now the Supreme Court, which has been, you know, with the the addition of Kavanaugh, is a 5-4 hostile court, um, is undoing... Um, you know, centuries of um, precedent in establishment clause law, opening the door to m- many worse violations. They said because it's been up so long since 1926 that somehow that makes it okay. Oh, in like my it's opinion, grandfathered in, yeah. right? In my yeah. opinion, that makes it worse. The violation's been going on forever. Right. Um, but that does mean that we can still fight against new. Christian crosses or religious symbols going up on public property, but it's going to be pretty. It's going to be much harder than it used to be. Yeah. So you can't just assume that there's always going to be a balance or equal time. However, we did just um, this month, a couple two weeks ago, uh, win another court victory at the Eleventh Circuit Court of Appeals, which is in Atlanta, in a case that we're taking with Americans United and the ACLU in Brevard, Brevard County, Florida where they were having invocations by community members and they were allowing ministers and religious people 
to come in and open the meeting, but they explicitly barred atheists, humanists. There are five different plaintiffs in our case, including our chapter. We um, won at the uh, local level, and then they appealed to the federal appeals court, and we just got a victory there. Oh, good. So, well, it's very good, but we're waiting to see whether that would be appealed to the U.S. Supreme Court, and we'll be holding our breath on that. Mm-hmm. And that is more or less taken as a free speech case. Mm-hmm. So we are trying to carve out that kind of law, as you said, where if they're going to put up something religious, we can put up something irreligious. But it only, it doesn't um, apply unless it's a public forum situation. Right, right. And so it sounds like we're going to be under attack. We are under attack. From from these people for a long time to come, and we have That's been for right. a long time. And I don't know that they realize um, the different religious groups, I don't know that they realize that they're under attack as well. Once we have a, a government, um, I don't know if it's going to be funded, but it would be supported religious group, all other religious groups, whether it be Muslim or Hindi or, or whatever, are going to be under attack specifically because they're not the correct or, quote-unquote, the correct religious group. That's right. Once you start to establish a religion, then you're always going to choose the majority, and then right. the minorities are always going to be um, uh, persecuted or turned into second-class citizens. Sure. And so this is true in the Bladensburg cross case that I just mentioned. I mean, obviously that cross doesn't memorialize Jewish uh, military right. or those who have multiple gods. Mm-hmm. And, of course, 24% of the population today is non-religious, and 24% of the military is non-religious. Right. And that is represented in our organization. 24% of our members are members of the military or former members of the military vets. Mm-hmm. So that's a lot of people to exclude. Yeah. And whenever government gets united with religion, watch out, because you will have persecution. Yeah. And so, yes, this could be turned, the tables could be turned um, against the people who are now trying to um, put religion in government. But at this point, it is the Christian nationalists who are um, uh, in, in the Trump administration, who have taken over. They have the most control at this The point. Trump administration, who are still controlling the U.S. Senate. Right. And everything is at stake with the next um, election, the congressional and presidential election, is going to really determine um, the... Uh, how our country is going to be for for generations, but already we have this problem that the Supreme Court is a lifetime appointment, and so those decisions, you know, those don't go away. Like, the political pendulum swings back and forth quickly. Sure. You know, you can have an all-Democratic or all-Republican Congress and President and so on. That can change. But once you have those people uh, to lifetime appointments, that will affect upcoming generations. And they're all being appointed at young ages. So that's a real concern, and we'll have to see whether there's going to be some kind of corrective action taken. Because of Mitch McConnell blocking Merrick Garland Mm -hmm. for the Supreme Court, there's no way to really undo that. And so I think uh, there are many legal scholars who think, well, because of this injustice, this might be a time where we do have to consider adding additional people to the Supreme Court. I don't know how else we're going to um, safeguard the Constitution. And I think many people do not realize that the U.S. Constitution is a godless document. It is indeed. And the framers deliberately made it so. They had the example of the persecution in Europe and in the individual colonies, and they wanted no part of that. And they also had the failed um, 
uh, uh, Articles of Confederation that did have religion in them. Mm-hmm. And so they wiped all that out and they started afresh and they put sovereignty in we, the people, not in a divinity. And right. they were first among nations to found a constitution in a nation where there was no God in it. Right. No Ten Commandments, nothing. Only exclusionary references to religion. Right. Even, you know, the presidential oath is given. There's no reference to putting your hand on a Bible. No, I there's think no, that's, that's something that they either choose to do or not to do. Well, it's and it's a modern um, practice, and there's no reference to, so help me God. Right. So, I mean, they re- this shows the intent. Mm-hmm. When they um, had this contentious four-month um, convention for the constitutional to adopt the constitution there was no prayer in it mm-hmm. benjamin franklin was a rather religious deist and at one point he suggested they should pray when they were having some acrimony and, and there were only a couple people who wanted to and they disbanded mm-hmm. and he he was secretary he even made a note there was no prayer at a constitutional convention nobody wanted to do it yeah, yeah so why are we praying now at city councils and county boards and at, in congress and um, you know it's it's not how our country was originally intended to be. Mm-hmm. And all these originalists, quote-unquote, have history wrong. Yeah, they don't know how to read. <laughs> or they don't know or what they, the words Or they've mean. never opened to the Constitution, yeah. perhaps, when yeah. they take their oath of office. I don't know. So what do you foresee? Um, I have my own predictions about what will happen the more theocratic we become. I think at this point now it's safe to say that the United States is sort of a haphazard theocracy. I wouldn't call it like a a Saudi Arabia or, or a place like that exactly, but it is a theocracy, I think, in, in a certain sense. Um, it's not meant to be, it's not written that way, but the people that are in charge right now are definitely three theocrats. Yeah, well, um, they're Christian nationalists. Yeah. Um, what do you I would not consider the U.S. to be a theocracy. I think that we are, um, you know, on the cusp of being a de facto theocracy, but it's yeah. not there yet. I mean, there are many, many practices today that really violate the Constitution, um, but I think we can still save our country, but it's going to be quite a fight, um, quite a political fight. What kinds of things, though, can we expect, do you think, uh, the more theocratic we become? The, in my experience and just reading history, I see theocracies doing a lot of things uh, separating children in schools, lots of segregation. Um, we saw that in Ireland. Um, well, the, va- the, um, va- um, the voucher situation, we have a case now going before the Supreme Court, a voucher case. So is this, this is DeVos um, and her? Espinoza. Okay. Um, so we're going to be doing an amicus brief on that, um, the Freedom from Religion Foundation. It's not a full-fledged voucher case, but it's going to be um, – there's already been some bad decisions by the Supreme Court. Just to be clear, these are school vouchers? Is that right? It's a, Yeah, it's a voucher situation. Um, there's already been some bad decisions, but states have been very reluctant. There's only a few actual um, voucher programs mm-hmm. around the country, so – that's of concern, and of course, of great concern is reproductive rights, oh, yeah. and that's where we really are in trouble, and that is why the Freedom from Religion Foundation started. It was my mother's uh, work as a, a national abortion rights activist 
um, in the late 60s and early 70s that propelled her to want to found the Freedom from Religion Foundation. And I was following her around um, in middle school and high school as she was crusading for um, liberalizing abortion rights, legalizing abortion. And we both saw it was totally clear who the organized opposition to abortion is. The only organized opposition is religious in nature. And that we realized we should never have religion in our laws. They weren't supposed to be in our laws, and we needed to be sure that dogma was never legislated. Mm -hmm. And it could have been some other issue, but it was abortion, and so here we are 41 years later, and we are on the cusp of losing Roe versus Wade, and many experts, legal experts, believe that by the 50th anniversary in 2023, it will not be holding anymore. Um, They don't expect Roberts... Uh, to be the swing vote that will, you know, keep Roe versus Wade intact. Right. But it may not be immediate. It'll be a couple decisions here or there. And then uh, my prediction would be, and I hope I'm wrong. I hope it does hold. But my prediction would be that it will. Um, they'll have a decision saying it's a state's rights issue, and then it will go back to the states where we will have horrible fights and where in my home state of Wisconsin. It will be immediately criminalized yeah. because we have never been able to get our legislature to take the criminal laws off the books. And the criminal laws date to before the Civil War, right. and they will imprison doctors. We were able to get the state to take off the criminal um, sanctions against women. Women would, under our old law, had to be imprisoned if they were found to be having an abortion. So that part's changed, but it still could come back. And there's sure. probably about 11 states that are like ours that have terrible laws still on the books. Then we've seen this push of, was it five or six states now with the bans at six or eight weeks? Yeah, of course, I mean, Alabama. it's illegal in six states now, I Not think. Not yet. And Texas has made it... Very difficult. Essentially illegal. It's well, not, it's it's legal in Texas. It's not illegal in the books, but it's not something that you can have done easily. No, it's, but it's, there still is. It's not a right in other words. There's still some abortion clinics open in Texas. Um, but, of course, Alabama's law um, would, would criminalize it, but it hasn't gone into effect, and these laws are right. not going to go into no, effect. No, most of them. That, I that's, think even one of them has already been struck down as yeah. unconstitutional. So. Well, and uh, there was... Um, yeah, there was this decision last week, and on one, in one case where it was at eighteen, decriminalizing uh, at eighteen weeks. Okay. So, um, no, it won't be immediate because most of the courts are going to turn, uh, are going to overturn them. But then, if it gets up, some of these get up to the Supreme Court, and they gradually start undermining Roe versus Wade, we're going to be in huge trouble. Right. We're going to, it's going to be the Handmaid's Tale. So, um, women are going to be in trouble. Now there are. Um, Many people who are t- pointing out that the medical pill, the abortion pill, may be a game changer. Is that the Plan B? Yeah. yeah. No. Um, no. No. The um, Miffy Fristone. Oh, okay. Uh, Fristone pill, um, where women can do home abortions. Okay. But and you can get pills from Canada. You can get them from Europe. But I would predict that we will get all kinds of laws banning um, the sale of these abortifacients um, by U.S. mail. Sure. And it will be a resumption of what the, what was the Comstock Act that declared contraception for almost 100 years to be indecent articles and prevented the dissemination of information about contraception through the mail, much less contraceptives. And I would that would be a big fight. But this is very common um, medicine used for other things. Mm-hmm. It will be hard to stop 
its dissemination, but as usual, it will be the young and the poor and the people who don't have resources who will suffer. Yeah. You know, the educated... Well, and all of us, as a result, too, unwanted pregnancy is a lead indicator of crime. Yes, society will suffer. and poverty as well. Yeah. yeah. And one of the things that I'm very proud of is that... Um, the other organization that my mother founded was the Women's Medical Fund, which is one of the um, abortion funds throughout the country. Ours serves women in Wisconsin. It's all, vol- all volunteer, and we help about a 1,000 women a year pay for abortion care. Women who would otherwise be eligible for medical assistance, Medicaid, yeah. where our state has cut it off and the Hyde Amendment has cut it off at the federal level. Okay. And so, um, you know... We're already doing what we can. It's it's yeah. a huge barrier already. So, you know, it's just going to be a great deal of grief. There's going to need to be more transportation funds. Um, and again, the people who are not, who don't have resources, um, are going to be left out in the cold. Yeah, disproportionately affected mm-hmm. by this. Yeah, um, people of color, young women, especially. Mm-hmm. Out in the hall, you mentioned you wanted to talk about some of your biggest frustrations. I can give my age away by saying that I was um, born in the mid-1950s. And as I grew up, I was not aware. In fact, my parents and my mother was not aware that there were all of these incursions in the 1950s in Congress. Yeah. Um, symbolic violations that have really come to haunt us. The addition of Under God tampering with the original Secular Pledge of Allegiance, Mm -hmm. Uh, the um, adoption, Johnny-come-lately adoption of the motto, In God We Trust, um, and putting it on all the currency. It was not on our paper currency until the late 1957. Right. Uh, A lot of people don't know that. It started going on some of the coins toward the end of the Civil War and was gradually on all the coins by the 40s, but it was not adopted on, on the currency. And, and so, um, you know, that these things create great mischief because whole generations have grown up reciting a pledge that equates propriety with patriotism. Right. And every piece of their m- money says, in God we trust. Right. And as my mother used to like to quip, in God we trust is not even an accurate motto. In order for it to be accurate, it would have to say, in God, some of us trust. Right. And that would be a very silly motto. Yeah. Um, and, and it depends on your definition of God. There could be a lot of yeah, that's right. <laughs> additions to that motto. But so that's done grave disservice and miseducated whole generations. Mm-hmm. And the people who remember learning the Pledge of Allegiance when it was secular are all 70 or older. Yeah. You know, they're dying off. And the people who remember when it didn't used to be on paper money are dying off and um, you know we're forgetting the secular roots of our country and also the National Day of Prayer was established in the 50s Um, there were other violations and I feel like I've um, spent my professional life fighting these violations we really thought we were going to you know we've taken lawsuits on these things and hoped we could make some um, progress Mm -hmm. and now we are facing this the pendulum swinging back so badly to the right religious right right that you know it's it's sort of um uh, a grave disappointment to put it lightly to feel that i might have spent my whole life trying to do things that are all getting undone or unaccomplished you know things 
um, we made a lot of progress, but now um, with the Trump administration's appointments to not just the Supreme Court but the federal judiciary, we have so many hostile judges. So this is a real problem. But um, even the judiciary has going to have to come to terms with the fact that the demographics in our nation have changed, and there are so many more of us who are not religious. Mm. And that will be hard to ignore. And that's where the seculars need to get out the vote. The millennials need to vote. They need to get their act together and register to vote. Yeah. Because the older uh, freethinkers vote. Yeah, they do. And we have to flex our muscle, our collective muscle, because we can balance out the fundamentalist vote. We can swing the election. And it's really important for people, parents and grandparents, to make sure their children who are college, for example, know how to vote. I mean, there are voter suppression laws all around the nation. It's going to take some due diligence to get people signed up, but we can do this. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that we have a placard, we're secular and we vote, never been more important. So we do have some power. We just need to grab it. I I heard a statistic that said that Something like 85 to 90 percent of religious fundamentalists voted for Trump in it's, um, 2016. Uh, it was 80 percent. Was it 80? Yeah. Okay. Um, I also heard a statistic that something like 40 percent of the United States population is religious fundamentalist. Um, mm, um, they, uh, I, I don't think that's quite right. Um, maybe. I guess I'd have to say um, evangelical is not necessarily fundamentalist. Sure. So maybe um, if you lump them together. I guess I'm lumping that together yeah, as Something like 40, 46 percent, yeah. Because I'm not aware of too many evangelicals that don't have a more fundamentalist approach. In other words, they believe in the flood. They believe in the Old Testament Bible stories as being true. Many of, many of them are young earth. Um, no, correct me if I'm wrong, but that's my understanding. Does it does it surprise you at all that that fundamentalism and evangelicals comprise probably the majority of Trump's base? I mean, he he polls at around forty percent, and it's sort of coincidental that no, there's no question forty percent of the people here are religious fundamentals, and eighty percent of those forty voted for Trump. Um, no, this is his his base is. Christian right, Christian nationalists, fundamentalists, and the more extreme evangelicals. That's his base, and they have sold their soul, so to speak, <laughs> to this dissolute guy because he's given them everything they want. Yeah, he really did deliver, though, didn't he? Yes, and he, uh, they have totally ceded the moral high ground. They are complete hypocrites. And maybe that's going to come home to roost at some point. I mean, we've seen their true colors. Sure. They will put up with anything. They will put up with children in cages. Yeah. Uh, in this horrible situation at the border. They'll put up with the Catholic Church. They'll put up with all kinds of terrible, yeah. horrible things. They they pretty much made a bridge to the Catholic Church because many um, fundamentals today 
now are uh, very anti-contraceptive, going yeah. after the contraceptive. That was Hobby Lobby, going after the contraceptive mandate. Th- those are Protestant fundamentalists. Those weren't Catholics. Yeah, just to be clear, evangelicals are Protestant. Yes, evangelicals are Protestant. But they put up with Catholics, is what I'm saying. They, they align with them when it suits them. Yes, well, I mean, they are in alliance with the Catholic Church now on abortion and contraception mm-hmm. and uh, opposing LGBTQ rights. Right. So there you have it, Annie Laurie Gaylor, uh, an incredible person, uh, a wonderful representative of the American people, and a fighter for freedom. Uh, One thing that we didn't touch on that I wanted to just give a little bit of time to is the importance of fighting for the rights of all people and not just your selective group. I think that it's human nature. Uh, I'm guilty of it. And many people are guilty of trying to defend their in-group ideology or their in-group just in general at the expense of the out-group. Uh, it's something that clearly evolved into us, uh, ape-like tendency that we carry to this day, much uh, as, as we do so many ape-like tendencies. But Annie is somebody that recognizes, and I'd love to to be more like her in this way, that we all deserve these rights and we all deserve the choice to use these rights. Somebody that fights for the rights of everybody and doesn't discriminate between groups is somebody worth taking seriously. It's somebody worth admiring. And I admire the work that Annie is doing in the world and I strive to be more like her. I don't think enough people take the time to really think through the issues enough to try to include everybody in the solution. And when you're talking about human rights, and specifically the human rights that we enjoy here in the United States that are codified into our documentation, into our founding documentation, it's important to remember that everybody deserves these rights, not just you or not just me, and they're worth fighting for. The other thing that I just wanted to end the podcast with, how important it is to claim your rights. I think a lot of people uh, sort of default their rights uh, and justice to the government or the system, right? This American experiment that we have that they think that maybe the government gave us our rights or ensures our rights. And I think that that the founders of this country... Uh, recognized that it's not the government that gives us these rights. They're inalienable. They are innate within us. They're not something that you automatically get because you have to claim them as yours. But there is no good argument against them. There's no reason why you don't have them. So, you know, freedom of speech, freedom of thought, freedom of privacy... People will take these rights away from you if you don't stand up and exercise your rights of free speech to speak out against that and to claim your rights and to therefore bring justice to the world. You can't expect that somebody's going to do it on your behalf. And I would argue that it's actually more likely that somebody else is going to try to take away your rights than try to defend them. We touch on this idea a little bit uh, when we talk about 
Christian monuments erected on public land, but not in any real depth. So I wanted to touch on it now and just say that, that please, please go out there and be like Annie. Go out and claim your rights and go out into the world and argue your rights so that you can have justice, so that we can all experience justice. As the founders of our country recognized, these rights are yours to claim, and there is no argument against them that holds up. So with that, I leave you. Uh, A nice, short, sweet podcast for all of you listeners. Please, please come down to the Secular Hub. If you like talking about these issues, if you want to be involved with and have access to and be inspired by people like Annie Gaylor, come down to the Secular Hub. You're going to meet people like that. You might meet Annie. You probably will. (laughs) I did. So come down to the Secular Hub, and you might ask to the ether, well, what's going on at the Secular Hub? Why, Why should I come down there? Well, Every second Saturday of the month, we have a very intriguing science-oriented talk. This week, we have somebody coming in to speak about volcanoes in the Antarctic. Uh, A lot of people don't think about Antarctica, but we think of ice and snow rather than volcanoes when we do think about Antarctica. So, Wesley Lamassier, I'm not French, Uh, so I probably didn't say that name correctly, is a fellow of the Institute of Arctic and Alpine Research at CU Boulder uh, and a professor emeritus of geology at the University of Colorado in Denver. Uh, Wes, or Wesley, was awarded his Ph.D. in geology from Stanford after earning earlier degrees from Union College in New York and CU Boulder. So just to give you an idea of the caliber of speakers that we pull into the Secular Hub. These are real scientists on the ground, in the field, making a difference, making the world a better place, collecting the data that we need to make good decisions. Oh, and not only that, but coffee and community. Every Sunday morning at 10 a.m., get together with other people that share your interests or your passion for freedom, liberty, and justice at the Secular Hub, which, by the way, is located at 3100 Downing Street. That's north. You'll see Secular Hub above the door. Just come on in and say hello. We also host events like a nonfiction book club that it, that meets Sundays at 3 p.m. We have Freethinkers AA that meets Monday, August 12th at 6.30 p.m. We have what's called the Newbie Night. That's on Tuesday, August 13th at 5.30 p.m. Uh, We also offer free pizza at Newbie Night, so please join in the fun. Have some free pizza. It's worth it. Bring some toppings if you want to contribute, and uh, we'll put them on our pizza and we'll eat them. Uh, We also have a Secular Hub Hub Members Movie Night. That's on Thursday, August 15th at 6.30 p.m. And we have our monthly game night, which is August 16th. That's Friday at 6 p.m. Now, the game night is one of the nights that I go to almost every month. I missed one month because of a vacation. But who could blame me, right? Uh, For those of you 
that are interested in hub activities, you can visit secularhub.org to see our calendar of events. We also have special events posted there, and we have our blog and podcast posted there. Now, admittedly, we are not blogging as much as we should be. I'm hoping to resolve that uh, by writing more, but we definitely have been releasing a new podcast every Sunday morning. If you want to see what's on there, we have we covered the Secular Conference here in Denver. That's episode 58. Uh, we cover the news. We cover guns and the Second Amendments. We have a extra special episode by Jesse talking about increasing your liberty. Um, we covered the presidential debates, the first round at least. Um, we interview people as this podcast proves but we've interviewed lots of people and we interview lots of people and we talk about other interesting things like love what it's like to become an atheist um, climate change and how you yourself can change or save the world um, abortion rights etc etc please join us please come in 